0: By prize picks on the Mayo Media Network. I am Garyan Thorne, and you're gonna be seeing a lot of me on this particular channel as the season progresses. We are going to be doing day-by-day slate breakdowns for DFS fantasy baseball. And when I say day by day, I mean every day. This isn't like hockey. This isn't like basketball. We are doing Monday through sunday we're doing the weekends too so you know there's gonna be me a couple other contributors it's gonna be a really 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 good time and you guys know how to help out the channel you got to do a bunch of different things and it starts simply enough by just liking this video also please if you could go to the audio feed of this podcast leave a like leave a five-star review on apple and you get put into a draw. This is the Mayo special for a hundred bucks. It is that easy. We are not above bribery here at the Mayo Media Network. So leave your Twitter handle or an email in that five star review, and you are automatically put into that draw. I also mentioned Prize Picks, who is sponsoring this show. What you can do right now is go over, sign up at prizepicks.com, put in the code M M N M L B and you are going to be able to get a match bonus of up to $100 on your first deposit when you use that code one more time, MMNMLB. So with all that in mind, and after you've left a like on the video and left a comment down below saying who you think is the best bounce back player for the 2021 MLB season, the reason you have to do that, the reason why that's kind of fitting is we are talking about bounce back players for the 2021 MLB season. And there is no one I would rather do it with than Jim Sonis of numberfire.com. It's been so long since I got to talk baseball with Jim. I'm really excited. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I
1: mean, thank you, Gary. And for this gift, I didn't realize you were going to be doing daily MLB stuff. Like this is uh this is an exciting day for me personally, knowing that I get some more good content to consume because I was thinking like in my podcast, like listening schedule last week, like, I hit a dead zone, man. Like there's a lot of good stuff to listen to. But during the non-NFL season, I have more like free agency period in my brain for like additional podcasts. So I know now that like, at least I won't be starved for good content. So thank you to Pat, to you and Pat for uh, filling that gap for me. I appreciate that.
0: Well, I will say for the six people in my DMs, in my Twitter replies for the last four years who have been like, Gary, and when are you going to do the rotation again? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't control these things. Uh, I know the the reunion show has been like the, the pandemic special. People yeah. playing, coming back together on Zoom calls. Uh, this is about as close to a rotation reunion as I think we're going to get. Uh, <laughs> everyone who watched that show knows Jim was basically on every other episode. That's how much I like talking to Jim about fantasy baseball. So what we're going to do, uh, is we're going to do one show, bounce back sleeper. I mean, we all know how the term sleeper is kind of weird. I think it's literally like these players fell asleep last season. So I guess the, the term is kind of apt uh, when we talk about this in particular. But we're going to do a positional players show. We're going to do a pitchers show. Uh, and I think this is a really important topic because when we're we're talking about the 2021 season, the looming specter of the 2020 season and how we use that sample size I mean, do you look at it and say, I have a hard and fast rule for every single player? Do you have to parse case by case? And we're kind of going to do that today. But generally, Jim, before we get into specifics for some of these positional players, is there a way you're looking at that 2020 season? Yeah, I think that for
1: me, if I can explain away struggles, I will want to buy into people and I won't want to buy into bounce backs because like you said, it is a small sample. So when you're looking at like results-based stats, like, batting average, even like OPS and stuff like that, you're going to see a lot of flukiness and that's going to be pretty volatile. But the more quickly stabilizing stuff, like that's more than enough sample to get a, a good read on strikeout rate, good read on bad at ball numbers. So if I can explain away the issues a player had, I think like even if we want to go to like Christian Yelich, like I can explain away his strikeout rate by saying, okay, he just wasn't swinging. It was very weird. So like I can explain that away pretty easily. And that's going to be a guy that I'm going to want to buy back in on because I can expect that to reasonably get better this year. But there are some guys where it's like I want to buy in because you know I want to take advantage of small samples and try to try to you know buy the dip and stuff like that. But it's really hard with some of these guys to get over the numbers they put up, even the advanced numbers they put up last year. And I think that like my broad philosophy is I want to buy back in, but that is so far from universal, which is it kind of winds up being what you had alluded to. It really is a case by case basis because for a lot of the, these guys buying the dip is is a pretty tough sell for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's very very case by case for me as well and I think for a lot of the guys with larger samples I mean Yelich is kind of the best example we have because he's a you know consensus top 10 pick but someone who did see you know his ADP fall by like 300% from season to <laughs> season. Um, But there's so much of a sample of just Yelich goodness that I think we can kind of buy back in. But some of the guys we're going to talk about on today's show, it's not just the 2020 thing. There's some other stuff that might be working against them. And I think one of the best examples of that is Nolan Arenado. Uh, And Arenado, someone who was a consensus first round fantasy baseball draft pick for about five years uh, when he was in the real glut of his career out there in Colorado, now it's not just, hey, he's coming off a bad season. It's, hey, he's moving from Colorado to St. Louis. Uh, not just worse for ballpark factor reasons, but a team that's been pretty underwhelming offensively for the last two seasons, uh, regardless of what they do. So let's just go over some numbers here. ADP of 37.1 right now on NFBC draft boards. Uh, his 2020 statistics, 201 plate appearance sample size slash 253, 303, 434 with a 76 WRC plus WRC plus always hates Rockies. I will put that point out there, but still, that is a, that is a rough number for Nolan Arenado 241 BAPIP. So that's something you can look at and say, well, especially in Colorado, maybe that's due for a little positive regression. but 30th percentile expected batting average 12th percentile expected WOBA. And then you toss in the whole, he was just bad on the road. And he's always been at least bad to average on the road. Is a third round price tag enough of a drop for Arenado, or were you almost expecting more coming into this season? I would need a lot more personally to get there because I think it's not
1: just the fact that he's leaving, but it's also the profile of the player. You look at Nolan Arenado, and the big thing he's providing or has provided in the past is power. He's not a stolen base guy. I agree with your thoughts in the lineup in general, probably not going to be one that leads to a lot of runs scored, runs driven in relative to what you'd expect out of a guy at his spot in the order in a different lineup. And I don't know what the power number will look like. You were talking about some of the the, the baseball savant numbers, like his, his barrel rate last year was 5.4%. So, That makes it tough for me to expect him to be a big power guy, because even like in years past, when he was really good in Colorado, barrel rate 8% in 2019, 7.2% in 2018, 8.5% in 2017. So those are just kind of, they're above average, but not like well above average numbers. So you're taking those numbers and putting them in St. Louis he is going to be a high average guy. I think that that's, if you're looking for a bounce back for Arenado, you can expect the batting average to be back above 290 or so. Like that's realistic to me. He's going to get his hits. He'll be very good there. But if I'm going to get a guy who's only going to excel in that one area in the third round and not give me anything in stolen bases, that's really tough for me to do. So I think that, I would need the price to come down quite a bit, honestly, before I buy it at Arenado, just because like he's losing the one thing he did really well, and that was power. He's not gonna have that. I even mean, the batting average will still be fine, but I find it really hard to see a good ceiling out of Arenado, even if the floor is fine. I just don't know if the ceiling is there. So I would need a pretty big discount relative to where he's currently going. I, I guess like I'd be curious to hear the counter-argument. You know, like what's the argument for taking Arenado in the third in the third round?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because even, uh, you know, as I alluded to off the top, literally the title of the show is Picks and Bets. So we can we can talk a little sports book here, too. But there are places that have Arenado as like the third or fourth uh, NL MVP favorite. And I guess, you know, MVP is such a narrative award. I can kind of see what's happening here, like big new name on new team. He's always going to be a plus defender, like 99th percentile outs above average. So you know, you get the whole package when we're talking about real life MVP races. But yeah, there's there seems to be this inflation on Arenado across just baseball as a whole that uh, I don't really understand. And it's at a position that's incredibly deep. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a couple guys available at this position in, in just this show. But, you know, even someone like, you know, Matt Chapman, who also had a really bad 2020, like there's buying windows for a lot of third baseman. And I just I feel like I wouldn't be paying up top here. Yeah, I mean, Matt Chapman's the
1: perfect example because they're basically like the same dude. Yeah. Like, I think that like that's kind of what you're getting, except Chapman's not going to a worse park. I think that some of the health stuff with him explains away his struggles. And I'm not sure if we're going to get like, we've seen him be a very powerful hitter in his current park. That's where he's still at. So I think that, that Chapman's actually a really good name to bring up. I'd rather bank on that power being present in 2021 than what we have with Arenado for sure. So
0: let's go to a guy who does have a good home park. I don't know what it's called anymore. Uh, to, to me, it'll be Miller park, uh, but Kestenhira, man, there there are some guys we're going to talk about where at the end of the day, even in our laziest analysis, we can just say, look, this guy was good in 2017, 2018, 2019 weird year, weird mental year. Like that, that's something we, we, we kind of have to put more of an impact on than We usually would. I mean, we're numbers guys, but it's just a strange season. There's a lot going on in 2020. So, There's guys who you can just say, look, we have 3,000 plate appearances of sample. I'm going to lean with that. Here is not one of those guys. He does have pedigree. Uh, He's got prospect pedigree. And I think that always, you know, when you're literally in a draft room and the seconds are ticking down and you're like upside, 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 I get it with Keston, but we've now had two seasons of limited sample that have been almost polar opposites of each other. So last year, 246 plate appearances, a slash line of 212, 297, 410 struck out almost 35% of his plate appearances. And that's worrisome because that was also apparent in his good season in 2019, where 348 plate appearances, 140 WRC plus, but BAPIP over 400, home run to fly ball ratio above 24%. So there were already the red flags in the good sample. You could say last year was like worst case scenario, but what's best case scenario? Yeah, I mean, best
1: case scenario, he goes back to doing what he did in the minors, where he was this really high contact guy and was like this tremendous hitter. Yeah, I mean, I remember the the draft profiles coming out where they were like, Hira might not be able, I think he was hurt coming out of college and like there were questions about whether he'd be able to even play defense and they were like doesn't matter he'll hit and that was kind of my assumption going in and he saw he showed that in the low minors where he was a low strikeout guy who had some power just a really good hitter like this super talented guy But like you said, that strikeout rate was present in 2019, and strikeout rate is a number that stabilizes in like 60 plate appearances. So there was more than enough sample in 2019, more than enough sample in 2020 to get a read on what he's going to be. So I think that what you said about 2019 is actually the most pertinent part here is because if we're expecting a bounce back 2019, you're banking on him being an outlier again. And I don't really want to bank on guys being outliers, especially in the going in the top 70, uh, as far as NFBC ADP goes, that's pretty tough for me to get there. But I do think that there is... Like if you were to say you must take Aronado at his ADP or Hira at his, I would take Hira for sure because there is a path to him being better. I think that path is actually another thing you brought up, the mental side, because in 2020, he's playing second base. He's really, really, really bad. And that can weigh on a guy, especially if you're you're so young. And now Colton Wong is there. Hira can move to first base, which does mean he's learning a new spot. And that could be a potential downside to this. But if you're not playing hideous defense over at second base, you can focus more on your hitting. I think that that's a potential upside for Hero because we know he has that pedigree. We know in the past, he has been a guy who can be very talented. So I think with, with Aronado, where I needed him to fall really far from where he was going, I'd be okay taking Hero if you he were to slip a bit more from his current ADP. I am not seeking him out at his ADP and I'm not taking him at his ADP. But if he slips... I could buy in then because I think there is a path to a really good year. We can get back to that that pedigree he had coming out of college, the pedigree he had in the lower minors. If we get that, he'll be worth his ADP. I just think the probability of that is a bit too low to take him where he's currently going. But a little bit
0: later, I could be talked into it for sure. I will say about the mental burden that's maybe lessened by playing first base. uh, Two people just rolled their eyes at that, and it was Ron Washington from the movie Moneyball. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and me having watched a full season of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, yep. <laughs> play first base full season, obviously. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think uh, that is going to be such a good defensive team. I'm almost strangely excited, especially after they signed JBJ. Uh, how yeah. good at defense that team is? I don't know if that's something. Uh, you can they're plus
1: three eighty to win the NL Central. I'm just saying, if if like I'm gonna them. talk trash on the Cardinals, I might as well talk of the Brewers. I'm pretty into that one. Plus three eighty to win the NL Central, low scoring games. Like they're not gonna hit, but like they're gonna have a lot of low scoring games. I can get behind that for sure.
0: It's crazy. I mean, like we might have Lorenzo Cain playing like right field, and he yeah. will- <laughs> I know he's like thirty five, and and right. can can go a number of different ways, but. 22 defensive runs saved in 2019 this is going to be a great defensive team like brandon woodruff is going to be so happy when anyone right. actually makes contact which is well, not going they, to
1: be awesome they do need that too because the rest of the rotation after burns is super ball in play dependent i don't know if that's a word but like ball in play dependent they're low strikeout pitchers that's probably the better way to phrase it they yeah. need good defense
0: but they've got it now well, speaking of great defense and strikeouts, that is that is a more perfect segue than I could have ever made. Let's talk about Javi Baez. Uh, really just mix, Mr. Perfect Defense in strikeouts himself. Baez last season, 235 plate appearances, 203, 238, 238, 360 slash line, 0.09 walk-to-strikeout ratio, 57 WRC+. plus third lowest qualified mark in all of baseball last season, that OBP of 238, I I might not even have to say this. I think everyone's figured it out. The lowest on-base percentage in all of baseball. And granted, we tend to all play in batting average leagues. I think the the OPS, OBP leagues, they've caught on, but still standard is batting average. So you might point to that and say, well, what does it matter? I'm not paying for his on-base percentage. I'm not a real-life team. I just need his fantasy numbers. It's still the mark of a very flawed hitter. And, you know, at the end of the day, while there's always going to be your, your Mondeses and your VRs to some extent, buying flawed hitters just feels bad, especially with an ADP of 71.7. And I think the thing that really worries me about Baia is because with a lot of these guys, we can talk about, you know, maybe the lineup's not great. The park's not great, whatever, whatever. For as much as Chicago seemed like they spent the entire offseason trying to not win their offense is still going to be really good. Um, This is a team that could score a lot of runs still. So Baez could be in the middle of a very, very good uh, lineup. And, and, you know, counting stats could come from that. But he's someone who was also, like, getting a little MVP buzz the first half of 2019, and the second half of 2019 was awful. So now we've got not just the weird augmented 2020 season, but he was also bad the second half of 2019. So is there any part of you that's saying and looking at the tools of Baez – and being enticed by that? Or is this another guy where we're just going to steer clear?
1: I think I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by him because last year was really weird. The, the bad, like play discipline numbers, like you said, have always been there. Like that's going to be there. Those aren't going to go away. But I, I think it was just, it didn't seem like he was seeing the ball all that well. Like his contact rate when he did swing was like by far the lowest it has been. It was down quite a bit. And he actually cut down his chase, right? He chased fewer pitches outside the zone than he had in the past. So I don't really know what was going on. I think that that could be a situation where potentially he may have been, you know, thrown off his usual schedule by the, the weird spring training stuff. When he, when he swung the bat, when he made contact, there was still something kind of good there. And there's a possibility he can steal bases. Like you said, This lineup isn't that bad, and we are getting at least a discount on Baez. Uh, You know, going in the seventies, that's I think enough for him to be pretty intriguing for me. And like, I think that the good thing about Baez is even that if the batting average is not that good, even if he continues to strike out at like an increased rate, there will still be other stuff there. He will still hit home runs because he's making hard contact. He will still get some runs scored, get some RBIs on that team maybe he'll steal a couple of bases as well. I think that that floor is really enticing. And if he does get back to being the hitter he was first half of 2019, which is, I think, very much in the range of outcomes, that's upside. So to me, if we're like charting out the range of outcomes for Javier Baez, relative to a lot of guys in that range i don't think it's that bad honestly so again it's probably not a guy i'm like going out of my way to reach for but if i'm on the board and he's about in his adp i'm very open to taking him just because i think that there is enough there for me to still feel good about him having a very good floor with a path to a good ceiling once again too
0: i might be wrong about this um but i believe he was one of the sort of lump of players uh who there was a lot of news stories a lot of talk last season about really struggled because he was someone who relied a lot on the in-between yeah. bats uh, video usage. Uh, I- I'm like 90% sure he was one of those guys. I'm 100% sure JD Martinez yeah. <laughs> was one of those guys. He was the main dude complaining about that last season. Um, this is someone who I'm really interested to get your opinion on because – uh you know I mentioned rotation earlier but I think if we had an aesthetic on that show it was we both are still in love with the 2016-2017 Arizona Diamondbacks yes uh whether it be their pitchers or their positional players uh JD Martinez I almost the last couple seasons it was like a rich man's Nelson Cruz like he was always going to go in the second round and you knew exactly what you were getting from him you're going to have to draft a little bit different because you'd have to find steel somewhere else. And he's never going to give you that obviously, but he was so safe. Like maybe the safest player in all of baseball, he could just hit. And then last season that stopped happening. And, you know, again, whether or not we want to say the video thing was tangible evidence of why that stopped happening. And, and to the best of my knowledge, he's not going to be allowed to go back to the 2019 video watching habits, uh, even in 2021. So if if that is something you put stock into, it's, it's not getting better, but 237 plate appearances, 213, 291, 389, 77 WRC plus you go from 2014 to 2019. He's got a 398 woba. Which is second among qualified players to obviously Mike Trout, who is crushing him. But like, he was the best non-Mike Trout hitter in baseball for a half decade, and then it's gone. Are, are we saying it's it's age? Are we are we concerned about the video thing? Like, is there enough like circumstantial weird stuff going around this where when you start adding it all together? you're out or do you just look at J.D. Martinez in the sixth round and say or even a seventh round and say I'm getting J.D. Martinez in the sixth or seventh round I just have to do this
1: yeah I think that it there is enough there where I'm pretty nervous about it. And I think that you were talking about Nelson Cruz before I could just take Nelson Cruz yeah, at a pretty exactly. similar ADP and get actual Nelson Cruz, as opposed to the, I guess now fake Nelson Cruz. I don't yeah, know. I, so. I don't want to like besmirch JD Martinez too much, because like you said, that, that Diamondbacks team still fond in my heart. Uh, Yasmani Tomas was in the spring training like mm-hmm. last year and it caught my attention, but nothing happened with it. But regardless, I think that with Martinez, there is enough, concern there where I am okay, not actively seeking him out and probably just taking a pass because I don't recall who wrote this, but there was a study done either for ESPN or Fangraphs a couple years ago that looked at the aging curves of different kinds of players. And the kind of player that JD Martinez is, is the one where when the fall off happened, it happened. I think that Joey Votto might've been on that list as well. We've seen Slight signs of life again for Votto, but like a Jose been.
0: Batista, Edwin Encarnacion, exactly. and sort of hundred
1: percent, hundred percent like that. Although Edwin Encarnacion still someone I use oh, far too often in DFS. <laughs> uh But like with Martinez, he fits in that bucket, and we had the video thing. I think that they're getting partial video back, but not the same that they had in 2019. Right. Like they're getting a, a portion of it back, so maybe he gets better. But what does better look like? Better to me looks like a guy who's probably gonna be okay in the strikeout rate department. He'll get you an okay batting average, but and he's in a good park too. But the offense, not what it was back then. There's no Mookie, there's no Andrew Benintendi. I mean, Benintendi last year wasn't, you know, doing too much anyway, but that is those are losses to that offense. So I think that you make it a worse context for JD Martinez not the type of guy who's going to give you stolen paces. So I think that the floor on him is a little bit lower than other guys we discussed too. That's enough where I'm kind of like, I could see him potentially bouncing back, but I feel like, like we can talk about FOMO. I don't have a lot of FOMO with JD Martinez, whereas I do with a guy like Javier Baez. So to me, I think that lack of FOMO and the lack of, you know, having a tremendous, tremendous ceiling where I truly regret not targeting him. I don't think it's really there. So like I don't think it's an outrageous idea if you want to buy back in based on the assumption that you know he gets better in 2020. I don't think that's that's bad process. I just don't see enough. I see enough red flags for me to be very wary of doing so myself.
0: No, I think I agree. Um, and I think when you are sitting there and you look at you know you strip away the name and just say what is he as a profile? And if we're saying 280 batting average, 25 to 30 home runs. 85 to 90 runs RBI and zero stolen bases. It just seems like there's a lot of guys you can get who have a very, even if it's maybe JD's 70th percentile outcome, and it's another couple guys, 80th or 85th percentile, like they're going for so much cheaper that you, you can probably just find that profile in a lot of different places. Sad to say though, uh, yeah. I, I am a very big JD Martinez fan. Uh, he has won me many fa- fantasy baseball championships. So I, I do wish him well, even though he is a red yes. sock, uh, and I do not like the Red Sox, but <laughs> a team that no one seems to like outside of Houston, <laughs> Houston Astros. Let's talk about Jose Altuve. Um, I know a lot. Of, it's funny. We came into this show saying, like, let's focus on 2020 and all the weird things that happened in 2020. And so many of these guys have just other things going on aside right, from that they right. struggled in 2020. But uh, Altuve fits the bill. He struggled in 2020. 210 plate appearances. And for a guy who was essentially hitting 320 for the better part of seven seasons, 219, 286, 394. He is still going inside the top 100 in NFBC formats, uh, 98.7 to be exact on that ADP, but 77 WRC plus last season. And this is someone who already in 2019 had so many questions. And I, I feel like we were already talking about Altuve just on and on and on leading into the 2020 season, because it was okay. Now Jose Altuve is a 30 home run, no stolen base guy. When did that happen? And you know, the, the news of the Astros cheating scandal kind of broke out and it was like, well, who's going to be affected by this? Um And it seems like Altuve was, and, and, and I don't know how much stock we want to put into this. It's again, not something that's necessarily tangible, but it's, it's there and we all know about it, but we're talking about someone who's known as a stolen base batting average guy coming off a year where he had two stolen bases and was 27th percentile expected batting average. Where, where would he have to be going for you to have interest, Jim? And, and just in a general sense, what is Jose Altuve if he's not batting 300 and stealing bases? Uh, nothing no. <laughs> like, there's nothing there because he's not going to hit for power again. I think, I think we
1: can say that pretty definitively with the changes potentially to the baseball for this right. year. Like he's not going to pop 30. I think we can say that with a pretty good amount of certainty. And I think you look at his sprint speed, it was still fine last year, but there, it seems like there's a lack of willingness to run, even when the power was not there. I think 20 back in 2019, like he didn't run as much that year either as he had in the past. So, I think that like best case scenario for Jose Altuve, he's going to be better than last year. I think that's, I think he'll definitely be better than last year. So like bounce back, sure. Will he bounce back enough to be worth a top 100 pick? Uh, that's a pretty tough sell for me because best case scenario is he's a 300 hitter who ha- who is okay, uh, probably pretty good in runs scored, decent in RBIs, but is actively a negative in power and doesn't provide enough steals to counteract that. If that's your best case scenario, like you're talking about, you know, percentile outcome, like if that's your 85th percentile outcome, that's tough. Like he's going ahead of Carlos Correa. I can talk myself into Carlos Correa 15,000 times faster than I can talk myself into Jose Altuve and I can get Correa later. So, I think that A the odds that he bounces back and is a contributor in those important categories are pretty low. And B, if he does bounce back, what does he bounce back to? I can't get there. So like, again, we were talking before the show, like I want to buy into guys who had tough years last year, but there are so many guys who there are reasons not to do so that like, I find myself passing on a lot of them. And I think that Altuve is, you know, I think Arnaud is the poster child of that for me, but I think that Altuve is a pretty close second where it could happen, but
0: I don't really feel the inclination to be the guy who gets there if it does. Well, I think um, the last guy we're going to talk about is the one that I will say off the bat, I am the most optimistic about. And for whatever reason, seems like he's been the most affected by his 2020 stat line. Um, and and probably the only person we could legitimately call a sleeper considering his ADP. He's, he's the only guy in this position group outside the top 100. He's going around pick 128 right now in NFBC formats. And that is Chris Bryant. And there's a lot to unpack here when it comes to Chris Bryant, at least, at least I think there is, um, 147 plate appearances. So right off the bat, you'll note that's a lot less than anyone else we've talked about so far, because he didn't even really have a 60 game season. He had a 30 game season if you even want to call it that wrist injuries, elbow injuries, oblique issues. I, I think that took a week in, in late August, like just nagging injuries across the board. And I think Bryant is someone who presents every single excuse you could possibly have. Like if we went back across the last 10 years and talked about conversations you have in March and reasons to like a guy who maybe the stats say you shouldn't like it's oh, always it a small sample. Oh, he was injured. Oh, he's done it before. Like he's Chris Bryant. Come on. He'll get it done. And I don't want to be simplistic, but he's Chris Bryant. Like, I, I kind of just want to know what we're all doing here. I mean, the number's terrible. I think we all understand that. But his career numbers coming into last season, 284, 385, 516, with a 139 WRC+. plus. And I understand the StatCast numbers were horrendous last season. He had more blue on there than the Coastal United States. Like, it, it's bad. And he's never been someone who StatCast really loves anyway, even when he's going well. But, but is this a situation where maybe we're almost holding Chris Bryant's reputation against him? Because we're now in year, I guess, seven or eight of the, the Chris Bryant era. And I mean, you'll, you'll remember as, as well as I do, Jim, when this guy was a prospect, yeah. I mean, he was supposed to change baseball. And while he's been very good, again, a 139 WRC plus is fantastic. It's elite. He hasn't been Mike Trout. He hasn't been, you know, uh, Stan Musial. Like, like he just hasn't been that guy. And was this an opportunity for some people who maybe just haven't liked Chris Bryant's career arc to just be like, I can quit him now. Later, Chris Bryant. Like, I'm just done with you because that's kind of what it seems like.
1: But this isn't even the first time this has happened where there's been a weird negative sentiment around Chris Bryant going back into 2019, like the 2018 season, there was a lot of skepticism around Chris Bryant and they're like, okay, you know, you know, we're going to push this guy's ADP down. I was like, Oh, why are we doing this to Chris Bryant? And like entering 2019, I was super excited to draft Chris Bryant. And like, you look back to 2018, the year that initially I think started the negative sentiment. He's still at a 126 WRC plus he wasn't like elite for fantasy because just 13 home runs and 102 or and uh 457 plate appearances but like he was a good baseball player 2019 very good excellent year once again a 135 WRC plus had the batting average so as recently as 2019 this guy was a tremendous baseball player last year had the injuries and they're not just injuries they are Like if you make a checklist of every injury that could lead to a down in hitters production that expands beyond after their back, it's oblique, it's wrist, not as much elbow, but like oblique and wrist are high up on that list of injuries you note as being things that will drag a guy down beyond even when they come back. So I think he is kind of the prototypical bounce back guy because again, it's not that long ago that he was very good. There are paths to him being better. You look back at last year and his play discipline numbers, like his contact rate on pitches outside the zone cratered and that to me kind of feels like if we're going to make like a, a, an, an analog here, if you look at a quarterback's numbers while under pressure, it's a small sample, high variance, very volatile. We could see that number bounce back easily this year. And if it does, that strikeout rate will probably come back down, which means his batting average goes up. I think that the power should come back too with the injuries not being an issue anymore. So I think that Chris Bryant, of the guys we have discussed, the easiest sell for me, and I have not said, I will actively target this player yet. I will actively target Chris Bryant happily this year. And I think like from a dynasty perspective, um, he's not going to be like, you're not going to get him for free, but I'd be willing to pay for Chris Bryant in dynasty because I think that the odds of this is his, like his low value for the next five years are it's decently high.
0: No, I think it's a really nice way to kind of dovetail. This show, uh, starting with Nolan Arenado and then finishing with Chris Bryant, as a perfect example of why you don't take someone like Nolan Arenado at his yeah. current ADP because you can get Chris Bryant a hundred <laughs> picks later. Uh, I mean, again, we know 2021 is going to be a crazy season. Some of these ADPs are probably going to look back in five years and go, "What were we doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, how were we reacting to samples that small?" But that is the magic of having to go over fantasy baseball every single day, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today. Uh, you can follow Jim at Jim Saunas, senior writer and analyst for NumberFire. Uh, Jim, uh, let people know what you're going up. Uh, what's what's going on right now?
1: Yeah, we'll be doing uh, daily MLB stuff uh, over on our NumberFire Daily Fantasy podcast feed as well. So I'm looking forward to having that. Uh, we'll be doing YouTube chats, YouTube Q&As every weekday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. So, it's fun to get to talk to people about baseball again. Baseball, I've missed it quite a bit, partly because I've been in like this, been in a DFS rut like that started like NFL playoffs, and I've needed to snap out of it. Like, <laughs> I've had some basketball things that have helped, but like I need to snap out of this rut, and I think baseball will help a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting things back going at the end of this month.
0: I agree, and I think uh, a lot of people out there can agree as well. And again. If you're someone who's looking to play DFS and get better at it, hopefully, Obviously. Jim is out there with his podcast. And again, Mayo Media Network, we're going to be doing a daily pod. Uh, they're going to be shorter, about 15 to 20 minutes. So easily digestible. It's going to be me, a couple other writers uh, every day of the week. So make sure to subscribe again to the audio feed, leave that five star review and a Twitter handle or an email address. You get put into that $100 draw. Go to prizepicks.com. Sign up there using the mmnmlb code for a hundred dollar match bonus and leave a comment and a like on this video and tell us who you think of those six guys, or maybe somebody else, someone you've got your eye on as a bounce back player in 2021. I'm Gary and Thorne. This has been fantasy baseball picks and bets presented by prize picks. We'll catch you next time.